All right. It's good to see you guys again. Nice. We'll actually be in Genesis today. You'll be relieved. Um, but uh, we're in Genesis 9, uh, verse 18, and we're going to go through the end of chapter 9. Um, I thought we might get into 10 today, but uh, as I got into studying it, uh, it was clear that the Lord had something else to unpack uh, this morning. Uh, but we're going to be 18 through 29. And yeah, Genesis 9, verse 18 through 29. Uh, the name of the message, usually when I go to study, you know, I'll read through it a couple times over the week, and, you know, or hopefully I'll try to do that, but I'll read through it a couple times at least before I study. And then uh, the name is usually pretty clear. The, the title was clear, but it wasn't clear today until closer to the end. And the title of the message is, Blessed Be the Lord, the God of Shem. The God of Shem. But we've been through a lot in Genesis, uh, the beginning until now, creation, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, uh, the generations, and then Noah and the flood. Um, we've gone over a lot. Um, but that's a lot to, to take in, even in just these first eight, nine chapters, is, is God's creation, his majesty, his relationship with people, and then also, you know, uh, man gets absolutely corrupt over time, and uh, they have to be destroyed. And, and we've gone through the flood. God saved Noah and his family through the flood because Noah believed God. You know, that was the difference between Noah and the people around him in his day, was that he just simply believed God. And that's why he found grace in the eyes of the Lord, because when he was actually looking for it. He was ready and willing in a place to receive grace from God, and God poured it out on him um, instead of the flood. But uh, God gave him the covenant when they got out. The flood was just over when we left off. God gave him the covenant of the rainbow. Just it says that uh, the covenant of the rainbow is for God to look upon to remember, not to flood the earth again. But, uh, you know, we don't, we don't have to worry about a worldwide flood. No matter what they'll tell you on the weather channel, we don't have to worry about it. Um, yeah, there will be other floods and hurricanes not a global flood. Um, but I think in some ways, perhaps the real trial begins now. That there's life now on the other side of the flood. Um, you know, that they've gone through all this. They went through it. They're on the boat. You know, there was this, um, obviously, a dramatic storm. There's drama in their lives for 20 years of building the boat and then six months in this stinky boat. You know, and now they're out of it. Now they're on the other side. And I think it's interesting that we're here looking at what we're going to look at today um, with some family issues, given that the holiday season is upon us, that Thanksgiving is this week, my wife's birthday is this week, you know, your birthday's coming up, you know, Christmas is coming. Um, you know, if I had my way, we would have talked this last week. It might not have had the same flavor. Uh, you know, but God had different plans. Um, but seriously, I was, at, I was getting allergy medicine the other day. Yes, I have allergies all year on. And the lady said, happy holidays. At the, I'm like, it's Thanksgiving. I'm not going to be offended by that. Thanksgiving, you know, but it's their training, I guess. Uh, but you wait. Someone will be offended by Thanksgiving, you know. This year it's Columbus. Next year it'll be the Pilgrims. Um, they'll find a reason. But uh, Thanksgiving is my wife's birthday, and this year it actually falls. She was born on Thanksgiving, and this year her birthday falls on Thanksgiving. And I'm thankful for her. Points, points. Uh, but, but, yeah, I'm thankful for you guys, too. Uh, pennies, too. You find all the money you can here. Uh, but what are you thankful for? How about your family? Are we thankful for our family? I think sometimes we think that, and maybe we, we say that, but when it comes time for the holidays, I think when the rubber meets the road, so to speak, when we step off the boat, you know, maybe it's after church on a Sunday, you go over to family's house, and you're like, oh, this isn't the ark anymore. You know, uh, these animals are more wild out here. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Not, maybe not my family. 
Maybe my sister's house, if you ever listen to this other but <laughs> Exactly, but I think, the ho I think the holidays really put it into perspective. And I saw this headline the other day in this article, and I'm going to read part of it to you. It says, one in three U.S. adults uh, to avoid talking politics over the holiday season. This was a poll. I mean, that's not surprising. But it says, Americans will sit down next week for what has become a holiday tradition in the United States, tiptoeing through turkey dinner without bringing up, it says mentioning the president, but the article is cute, but without bringing up hot button issues. Nearly one third of all adults will actively avoid political conversations when they see friends and family over Thanksgiving and the December holidays, according to a poll released Friday. About half said they do not expect to discuss it at all. Uh, the poll found the majority of Americans consider politics among their least favorite topics to discuss in mixed company over the holidays. I would agree. Uh, you don't want to get beat. But the poll respondents said they learned to bite their tongues after years of dinner time squabbles. Uh, they're talking about family dinners and fighting. And I think that's why we, we, uh, we dread family things, because families, we get very passionate over things, and we don't always, you know, we stay very surface. And then as soon as the surface conversation runs out, we're like, oh, Time to go. I'm like, no, this is when the real relationship starts. Don't run away. <laughs> Don't run away. Uh, you know, one uh, respondent said, that was the end of that. I decided I'm not going to talk politics anymore. I'm not those things that they call me. They called her names for the business that she had. Uh, we can keep it civil when it's just us, said someone else. I'm not sure the rest of the family can. Um, you know, family squabbles are nothing new. They're nothing new. And it's... Uh, up to us as believers in the household, you know, uh, if especially if there's, I mean, even as other believers, but if there's not, to really be the ones who, uh, um, not above, not above at all, not above them, but to be below them in a sense, to serve our family, um, to minister to our family, to when those things come up, hopefully not get too heated, or at least back it up and try and bring the conversation to um, a better place, and even more than that, love on them share with them, minister to them, uh, the gospel. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 20, uh, this is right, uh, it says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. You know, we're believers, but when we come to hang out with family, yeah, they're our family, we love them, they're our brothers and sisters and family, but we're not to regard them according to the flesh. You know, we might, maybe we, don't, we shouldn't treat them like we would a younger brother or sister or give them a movie, you know, or, or get mad at them, but really love them. You know, would you treat someone at church the way you would uh, treat your family sometimes? So this is for me as well. But it says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. That our ministry is reconciliation. And on the outside, our bodies and our past and, you know, everything about us, our last name, is our family. But on the inside, we're a new creation. We are a part of God's heavenly family. And we're there to be reconciled to bring our family to God's heavenly family. Now, you know, you can pray for your family for years and not see anything. I mean, a prophet's not accepted his hometown. Jesus' own family didn't believe him, so don't be discouraged if your family doesn't believe you. But sincerely, we need to be reconciling our family to God. If it's in prayer, even if it's just, you know, biting your tongue, if it's whatever it takes to be loving and caring your family, if there's an opportunity, pray for opportunity to share the gospel. But a lot of times the gospel falls on deaf ears in our family because the, the relationships haven't been smoothed over. You know, if, if your brother has something against you, the God says, 
go first be reconciled to him, and then bring him into the altar. That if there's a squabble in your family, you're not going to come to Christ. Oh, you offended me. You owe me 200 bucks. Sure. I'll come, you know. Oh, there needs to be smooth out. I mean, God can do anything. Don't do it wrong. You know, don't feel like you have to make everything perfect. But sincerely, we, uh, this is a good time to do it because it's an excuse to get together. They almost forced me to get together. All right, come over to my house. You know, fine, you can come over today. Without further delay, let's look at Genesis 9, 18. We'll offer up another quick word of prayer. That God, again, we thank you, God, that you've made us your family. God, we do pray for our families this week that, God, you would open up doors for us to minister the gospel um, in word and in deed. That, God, you smooth out the things that are broken. You reconcile and bring healing in our family. But most of all, bring them to you. And, uh, God, we ask that you would just minister to us in the word as only you can by your spirit. Let it not be my words, God. Would you please speak to us all? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read uh, whopping two verses together, 9, 18, and 19. It says, uh, now, that the, now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And we're going to look at these in bite-sized chunks today because even in just these uh, 11 or so verses that we're looking at, it touches on a lot of things. I don't want to get distracted, so let's uh, focus on these to begin. It says, the sons of Noah that went forth from the ark. And it, it doesn't mean not that he had other sons, like these were the guys who got out of the ark, the rest of them get on. But these were the sons who uh, were Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And they were the ones who were on the ark, who got out of the ark. And from them, all the people of the earth would be populated. Um, we can look back... Um, uh, the entire family line of humanity, it's all through them. Yeah, we got Adam and Eve, but these guys are the bottleneck uh, through Noah. Um, and it's interesting that that verse, uh, a couple chapters back about Noah being perfect in his generations could also have some, perhaps some genetic information as well, uh, given some of the other things we're looking at. Uh, there's a, it talks about Noah being uh, perfect in his generations, and there could be some genetic implications there. I don't want to get caught in the weeds on that. We, we brought it up a couple months ago, but we can sort of talk about it after. Um, but these would be those who would carry on the family line, uh, you know his family, Shem, Han, and Japheth, and ultimately humanity um, from the landing of the ark. Um, again, let's think about the scenario. The whole world was destroyed, and uh, seeing and helping your dad build a giant boat for 120 years, um, I don't know what your dad does, I can't imagine helping my dad build a giant boat. I can help him imagine helping him sell cars for 120 years. But not build a giant boat for 20 years. Uh, we'd probably be in trouble with both of us wielding a hammer. But animals were coming from all over, and they're being in the boat with those animals. You know, God closes the door. You're in there. The flood begins. You know, it started raining tonight. I love that sound, but they didn't know what that was. Uh, they'd never seen it before. And then six months later, you get out. There's nothing. There's no one. You know, you show up early somewhere. You know, ever go to the, the mall early in the morning to park your car or something? And you meet up with somebody. I remember doing that. But uh, to like meet up with Thomas or my dad or something. But uh, like no one there. Like this place where everyone's supposed to be, and there's no one there. It's like a ghost town. But in the city in the morning like that. But there's nothing. There's no one. There's just a boat. There's some springtime growth, and there's a zoo's worth of animals and your family. That's it. I mean, that's kind of a, a stark picture there. I think it's pretty bleak. And yet, even in the midst of this bleakness, there's hope. There's greenness. There's new life. God saved you. Out on the other side, but I think that it overall is probably pretty quiet. You get out there, there's not birds everywhere. There's not, I mean, you know, maybe there's 
flowing from the ark or whatever, but it's quiet. It's different. And I think some of us would love that quiet. I think maybe we need that quiet because I believe, the, you know, it's obvious that the world has gotten so loud in the amount of bad news. It's like deafening how many things cannot work. It's so loud. It's such a, a cacophony of loud, now, loud bad news that when new bad things happen, it's like we almost don't hear it. We almost don't forget the last bad thing that happened a minute ago. You know, the amount of perversion that's there. The amount of protesting to get its own way. It's getting so loud, they're trying to get their own way justified. I think it's too loud. I think uh, God hears it. But we have these three boys. Uh, they're men. But it's Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem uh, literally, his name means name. I guess Noah and his wife were too creative when they had their first. And said, uh, we'll name them. <laughs> Uh, but he carries on the name of Noah, as we'll see, I believe, here in a way. Uh, he's the eldest son. He's the father of the Semitic tribes. Um, uh, name uses, this is 1770s, for the language family currently in West Asia, North and East Africa, and Malta. Basically, you know, the Middle Eastern people, the, the Jewish people. Um, other peoples of that region come from Shem. Ham, or Ham, you know, if you've got the Jewish CH there. Uh, his name means hot. Hot. You know, was he a hothead? Um, you know, was he the guy with the short temper in the family? I don't know. Uh, perhaps. But later, uh, this term came to be for the Egyptians, the people of the southern lands, perhaps Africa. The Canaanites, uh, the word Canaan means low land. Uh, we see how these people, they ended up troubling the Israelites. Uh, their family traits. You remember back uh, earlier in Genesis, we saw that guy Lamech from Cain's offspring. And Lamech was like, Lamech is so great. Lamech has done this. Lamech has done that. And then the Bible talks about all that, and then that's it. It's like, Lamech thought he was so great, and that was the end of his line. And we see something similar here with him. You know, uh, we get the Phoenicians and the Palestine area peoples from there. Um, then there's Japheth. He's the youngest. His name means opened. And I wonder, you know, did he open the door of the ark, so to speak? Was he right there waiting to get out of the boat? Um, is he the one who sort of opened up the doors in his family for things? Um, did he serve others? But he, uh, his people ended up covering the Mediterranean, Europe, and Asia. Uh, again, you know, remember, all the genetic variables were in Adam and Eve. There's not one trait in you or me, I mean, unless it's like a deformity trait, you know what I mean, so to speak, like you have a, a defect. Um, we're in Adam and Eve. The possibilities were all there because all one people. It's just breeding. You know, dark and light-skinned, redhead and blonde, tall and short. And over time, these features became more prominent. I talk of the Shanley schnoz, the nose that us Shanleys get. It's clearly the Shanley nose. I mean, you know, we all turn, my brother and sister and I may not look alike, but you look at our nose, you know. <laughs> the nose knows. <laughs> but if we keep, you know, breeding so on with people with large noses, we'll probably keep having large noses, and that's the same sort of thing. Um, but we are all one people. We may be of different families, tribes, nationalities, ethnicities, but we are all human. We can all marry and have babies, you know, genetically speaking. You know, a person from Japan, a person from Canada, a person from South America, a person from Russia. It's going to be fine. It's not two different types of people. We're all people. They're just little different uh, flavors. But these guys were it. These guys were the ones from whom all humanity that exists today sprung from. There's no like extra lost tribe that's not related to these guys. Yeah. We're all family. 
But with that, with all of these statues and Confederate symbols being torn down, how come no one's tearing down Darwin's statue? How, haven't they read the whole title of his book, On the Origin of the Species by Means of Natural Selection, or the Preservation of Favored Races and the Struggle for Life? His theory was used as a basis for a lot of modern racism, including Nazism. If you look at what they were doing with the favored race, the Aryan race, they had posters of different people and how they were different races and how the Aryans were the favored ones. How come no one tears that down? How no one says, well, that's not good. Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, race, eugenics, birth control. Do a little digging there and you'll see that there's racism. No one's tearing down Planned Parenthood while well, the people who would like to are allowed to. The government tries to defund them or certain representatives and they get lambasted for it. You know, but what's swept under the name, under the carpet, the name of women's rights is like a history of evil and even a present of evil. But you know what? In Galatians 3.28, Paul says this. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, you want to get rid of that stuff? Come to Jesus. You want to not see race? Come to Jesus. Because when you come to Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're black, white, brown, yellow, male, female, tall, short, speak your language or not. You're a person. You're a human. Free your slave. You have dignity. If you look at the world and the spread of Christianity and, and the, the charities that have gone out from Christianity, I don't see other charities going out and doing the same amount of work that the church has, even if it was just a name only. But with that, this is it. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, mom and dad and their wives, and they went back to living. They went back to day-to-day -to -day life after the ark. There's no more boat to build. There's no more animals to feed. It was, all right, let's get our house together. Let's get a yard. Let's get back to getting food. And I think we need to get back to living in reality sometimes. Sometimes we live in a bubble. We live in a church, or we live in dramatic times, and we need to get a reality and do that day-to-day -day life. You know, they didn't repopulate the whole earth in a day. It took time, it took years, and we'll see in the next chapter uh, more of that. But God's command was to fill the earth. It was not to all clump together. God wanted the diversity that would come by spreading out. You know, you get these people groups that stay together, and they end up, you know, in a sense, getting all inbred, and, you know, home bring up people groups, but that, that happens. God wants there to be spreading out, but there might be a distance, a genetic difference, a people difference, a culture difference, because, you know... God's not European, you know, he's not, I mean, he was born into the Hebrew people, the Hebrew people are just meant to be a picture, you know, God himself is not Hebrew, so to speak, I mean, Jesus was, I mean, we're, you know, we're getting in the weeds on that one, but sincerely, he loves all people, um, you know, not in a politically correct way, putting down one set of people to then somehow raise up another set of people, but really in true unity, in, in true oneness as people, and that only comes in Jesus, we see in the world trying to do without Jesus, it doesn't work. It just ends up in heat. But Revelation 9, 7, 9 through 10 says, And after these things, John says, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You want to fix racism? Spread the gospel. Because in heaven where the fruit of the gospel lives for eternity, it's everybody. It doesn't matter what you look like. We all look like him. And I think that's the beauty, is that even though we look different on earth, we all look like him if we come to know him. If he lives in us, you look like him. 
I, you look like him. I look like him. You look like him. And yet we, you know, I think that's the beauty of the church. When you come to a church that's healthy, you know, maybe it's not like perfect diversity, 25%, 25%, 25%. But when you go and you meet the people who are different from different areas, or different ways of life, or different jobs, or different incomes, or different education, we all have this unity. That's not found in the world. The world, you know, work. People come together. Birds of a feather flock together. You know, you're all fans of this. You're all of this kind of money. You're all of this age. You're all of this ethnicity. You know? But in the church, it's like, you love Jesus, I love Jesus. We have fellowship. You know, want to fix racism? Spread the gospel. Want real social justice? Find real justice at the foot of the cross. We can feed people until the cows come home. Jesus said, you're always going to have the poor among you. Now, I'm not saying don't feed the poor, don't take care of their needs, but their primary need is not food. The primary need is not clothing. The primary need is not some sort of governmental equality. It's Jesus. Now, as we share Jesus, they need food, we bring them food. As we share Jesus, they need clothes. As we're able, we clothe them. You know, that's, that's the gospel. Peter said, I don't have any money for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. This guy was asking for money, but that was not his real need. Peter healed him. God healed him through Peter, and he came to know the Lord and spread the gospel. And he didn't need a bed for any money anymore because he could walk. And that's what the gospel does. It enables people to live. You know, it enables people to be able to hold down a job, to be able to want to hold down a job, to be able to be free of addiction, be free of things that destroy them. You know, you put someone through an AA program, yeah, that's fine and good, but if they don't have the gospel, they're going to live under the burden for the rest of their life. If you give them the gospel, they're going to go around and say, hey, you don't need this. Come with me. Come to Jesus. You know, I uh, went to an addictions uh, ministry seminar at a, a couple of things at the pastor's conference. Great. I've never been involved in it, but I wanted to, to learn more about it. They sent me a packet and everything. Um, you know, I'll share with you guys. I'll go through it. You know, there's no one that we know, you know, maybe immediately know of these things, but they're really, you know, a lot of times we look at people in situations that we're not familiar with and we judge them or we don't reach out to them or maybe, maybe we just don't feel equipped to handle it. Maybe we're not, but they need the gospel. They need the gospel. And then, on top of that, there's practical ways to deal with it. But primarily, we need the gospel. And again, uh, just to get back into Genesis, we'll see the table of nations in the next chapter. There's some interesting stuff mixed in there. But the gospel is what changes things. The gospel is what's important. Let's go on. Let's read uh, 20 through 21. It says, uh, And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. We'll stop there. It says that Noah began to be a farmer. I think it's a pretty good idea. Whole Foods wasn't going to be open for quite some time, so somebody's got to do it. You know, I was talking to a coworker at work, and she mentioned how she'd love to quit her job and be a farmer, and her and her husband had this farm in their backyard in Baltimore, and we just got to talking about that stuff. Um, but I think it's a wise profession because everyone needs to eat. You know, a lot of times in the city, we look down and farmers, all oh, their country bumpkins, you know, at work. We do a lot of work with uh, food production companies, and they have farmers that are a part of the organization, and, you know, sometimes we go out and visit them and stuff. And sometimes the mentality for them is kind of like, oh, they don't have internet, oh, they, you know. No, I think they're wiser. I think they've got a better way of life than we do in the city. Um, I think they've got a, a little bit more on the shoulders. Maybe they don't have the fancy words that the city folk have, but. They've got something else. Uh, but the word is actually husbandman. You know, Aish, Aish, I can't even say it right. But, uh, you know, animal farmers have funny words like a pig call, like sui, or a way to talk to a horse to get it to go. 
Um, but actually this word just means man. And I think that's interesting. I think that Noah manned up after the flood. That uh, something I think as city folk need a little more in our lives. Um, maybe we wouldn't be so offended by the common sense, uh, so offended in the common sense of the country life and hard work might help us sort out all our city problems uh, by manning up a little bit. And I don't mean that means you need a beard or an axe or flannel. I appreciate those things, even though I don't know how to use an axe. Just watch a, a video of me camping a few years ago. We had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> but I think in a sense, how important it is, Noah had to be self-reliant. You know, he couldn't go to Home Depot anymore. He had to be a little self-reliant. Uh, man or woman, adult or child, I think it goes a long way. It goes a long way in your personal finances, your situations in life. There's responsibility there when you begin to take responsibility for yourself and those around you, but also for caring for others. Philippians 2.4 says that each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. I encourage you to read chapter 2 um, of Philippians later. We read it there, and it's just sometimes we know it, but you go through and you read it, and it's a blessing. But I think if it weren't for all these allergies that I have, you know, I'm allergic to basically anything that's alive. Almost people, I think, if possible, I would be, but I'm not. Um, I think I'd be better at caring for animals than for growing plants. Like, I remember trying to grow a lima bean in elementary school, and nothing happened. <laughs> you just stick it in the cup, give it a little water, put it by the window, it should grow. But I kept digging at it, you know, is it, are you growing it? No, no, no. Ruined it. But I think, you know, if I wasn't so allergic, I think I'd be more naturally fine, maybe for animals. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. But it says that he planted a vineyard. I wonder, did he know about grapes and alcohol when he planted a vineyard? You know, all these rich people hear about have their own vineyards, or all these celebrities that come out with their own alcohol brands, you know, it's like the thing to do. But I wonder, you know, how many grapes does a family really need? Um, you know, wine in biblical times is not as intoxicating for the most part as today's alcoholic drinks, they say. Um, and hey, you know, all, all you've got to drink really is unfiltered water. I mean, Noah's there is probably fantastic, clean, wonderful water. But, you know, you go, and, huh? I will let these grapes go bad. But you didn't have refrigeration, so how else are you going to get that juice to last you? You know, that ferment. And you know, you could probably speak more to this. So it wasn't always just about alcohol and intoxication. Um, you know, there was some wisdom in, in handling back then for refrigeration. But I'm getting the impression that there's something else going on here in Noah. And by reading what happens, you know, we don't know what his state of mind was here. I don't get the impression that when God says through Moses in writing Genesis, that Noah planted a vineyard, that it was by accident. Oh, I don't know what this is going to do. I have to wonder, what is he thinking? I'm going to go plant a vineyard. Was he even supposed to do this? You know, God had given him all these animals. Should he have been caring for the animals and not growing a vineyard? I'm not saying he was or wasn't. I'm just, just kind of reading into it maybe a little bit. Maybe too much. Maybe was he tired of that? I don't know. I think it's something to consider, you know. If this is called out in these, few, in these few verses after the flood, and this, this happens, maybe there's more to it. You know, there's some ponder that uh, was alcohol even possible before the flood. You know, I'd say it probably was, in my opinion, but what do I know? Uh, maybe not before the fall. You know, there's some good, you know, thought conversations we can have there. Um, but really, was Noah doing okay? You know, think about how, how you would feel after all this happened. Everyone on earth dies. You and your family and only survive, and none of your friends or relatives listen to you or got on board. There's no one around. You know, God had given him, I'm uh, sorry, you know, uh, how, we don't know how long after the flood, of the flood this was, there's no mention of his wife. 
with his wife still around, and she passed away. And I'm, I'm just, you know, speculating here, but it's, it's interesting food for thought, I believe. You know, we don't hear a word from the Lord in this part of the chapter. We don't see God speaking to them like he had before. You know, it's Noah, his family, and his vineyard. And was it so bleak that it began to weigh on him? Was he just bored? Was he lonely? Was he bitter with God? You know, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Was it one time? Was this the one time that he went out to do this? Was this the first time? But I wonder, you know, with us, is it usually the first time you get caught doing something like that? Was your first time out drinking the night you got completely wasted and forgot what happened? No, I venture to say it probably took a little time before you got to that amount of alcohol in your system. You know, maybe it was just a lightweight, I don't know. But for some reason, again, I think maybe it's just me. I have to wonder if Noah was just struggling with all that happened. Maybe I'm just projecting this, I don't know. Maybe it's survivor's guilt, I don't know. But it's food for thought, but just don't let it ferment in your mind. <laughs> but the Bible talks about us being kings and priests, right? And drunkenness, you know, is not for kings and priests. You see that throughout the Bible. You might even stop to consider as Christians, alcohol itself is probably not for us. I'm not going to get into that and put that on you, but I know it's for me. And I look at the scriptures and I go, I don't know that there's a reason to. You know, Noah didn't have that written down for him yet. But let's look at the fruit of his vineyard. We're going to see that it's not grapes, it's not wine, and in a sense, it's not even drunkenness. But something else grows out of all of that. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, and giving thanks always for the things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. I think it's interesting that being drunk, people tend to sing. Oh, you know, they're all staggering in the street singing. They open up about their feelings. I love you, man. You know, and then they get overly dramatic, and then they end up fighting someone um, and not submitting one to another. But when you're under the influence of the Spirit, you sing songs that glorify God. You begin to love each other and share God's feelings with each other. And you begin to care for each other and submit one to another. I think that's a stark contrast between the wine and the Spirit, so to speak, the wine of the flesh. That's why God doesn't want us to be under the control of it. But it says that Noah was uncovered in his tent, that he was naked. He was uncovered, he was exposed. And I don't think he was just naked in a sense. You know, maybe he got there, uh, drunk people tend to get naked, drunk people. Maybe we thought this new story. It's a naked guy on top of a cop car and some downtown street. It's weird stuff. But it's never good. And I think in a sense that Noah was exposed way more than that by this incident. His emotional state was revealed in him by his physical state. By even this guy, Noah, this patriarch, this man of faith, had found grace in the eyes of God, getting so drunk as to be naked. And at first we'll see, he didn't really remember what happened. And I think that's, I know that's always a sign of something else underneath. People drink like that to escape. It's not just the tough work week that may be the, be the excuse, but it's impossible to do life without God. Especially if you've been a man of God or a woman of God and you're in a place where God has you to be and you're not spending time with God, it's even harder to be there. Where God has brought you by His Spirit, you're not going to be able to continue on in the flesh. It's got to be always by God's Spirit. But the last thing we saw Noah doing before this was building an altar to God on the mountaintop. But in the valley, things began 
to get difficult. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit of my utmost here, but not all of it for time. Um, it's from 1116, if you want to look it up. It says, we have a tendency to look for wonder in our experience. And we mistake heroic action for real heroes. It's one thing to go through a crisis grandly, yet quite another to go through every day glorifying God when there is no witness, no limelight, and no one paying even the remotest attention to us. If we are not looking for halos, we at least want something that will make people say, what a wonderful man of prayer he is, or what a great woman of devotion she is. If you are properly devoted to the Lord Jesus, you have reached a lofty height where no one would ever notice you personally. All that is noticed is the power of God coming through you all the time. We want to be able to say, oh, I have a wonderful call from God, but to do even the most humbling task to the glory of God takes the Almighty God incarnate working in us. To be utterly unnoticeable requires God's Spirit in us, making us absolutely humanly His. I remember a pastor sharing years ago, it takes more Holy Spirit to do the dishes sometimes than it does to share the gospel. In a sense, it's easy to get up here and do this. It's, it's not. It takes the Lord. I can't do it on my own. But sometimes I look at the dishes, I go, I'm not doing that. You know, at all time. <laughs> but like, sincerely, like, to, in order to clean up or do things, sometimes that takes more Holy Spirit. So our flesh hates it. Colossians 3 3 says, uh, Oh, this is what he's talking Sorry. Let's go on. Let's go on. Verse uh, 22 says, and Ham, this is the middle boy, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. And it says, and Ham, the father of Canaan. I think it's a little reminder here. Remember who this is, guys? The father of Canaan. It doesn't mention that with the people these other guys are fathers of. I think it's especially interesting seeing that this is written by Moses, surrounded by the Canaanites, and the Israelites had fled from the clutches of the Egyptians. The offspring of Ham, right? Let's remember who Ham is and who his people are. But he saw his father's nakedness, and he goes outside, and he tells his brother, and this word tell is in the God, um, is to be conspicuous, to make known, to tell, to declare, to announce, to report, uh, uh, to be reported. And I get the sense almost like a tabloid to publish. Hey, guys, look at Dad in there. Not guys, Dad's there, but... Guys, look at old Noah. Old man of faith Noah. Look at him in there, guys. It wasn't in confidence. He wasn't looking for help. I believe he was trying to shame his father. Maybe there's some middle child problems going on there. I don't know. Maybe he had a beef with his dad. You know, you're in confined spaces for that long. I don't know. But there's clearly unforgiveness and bitterness. And that's the flesh. You know, if you guys remember that show American Chopper, it's actually coming back on TV or whatever, but the show thrived off the fighting between the father and son in the show. Even the second half of the show was senior versus junior. The show got so popular. Because, I mean, yeah, they made cool stuff. It was a fun show, but that's what the producers focused on. Uh, you know, and they, and they don't want it to be that anymore. But let it not be what we thrive on. Let the strife and all these other things not be what we as believers, especially in this sort of family, thrive on. First Peter 4, 8 and 9 says, And above all things have fervent love for one another. For love will what? Cover a multitude of sins. And it says, I put this other verse on there. Verse 9 says, Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Because Thanksgiving is coming up. Be hospitable without grumbling. Oh, yeah, you can, oh, yeah, you can sit on my couch. Yeah, no. 
Let me spit them But remember what God said to Adam and Eve. Who told you you were naked? You know, I believe the enemy, and I know the enemy, always wants us to be exposed. And then once he gets us exposed, to then shame us. To do the walk of shame. He says, God will never shame us or allow these things to happen with the final intent of being shamed in our lives. If God allows our sin to find us out and for us to be exposed in that sense, it's always that we might be reconciled to him, that we might be forgiven, that we might then really be covered because we cannot cover our sin. He's the only one who can cover our sin. So if God allows that in your life, let him then be the one to cover it in your life. But we shouldn't be the ones going around exposing others um, unnecessarily. But Shem and Japheth, these boys wouldn't have any of this with their father and their brother. They didn't sit there. They didn't let him keep gossiping and keep saying what was going on. I have to say they probably rebuked him. It doesn't say anything that they said specifically other than uh, Noah's blessing and curse, we'll see. But they heard what Ham meant for shame, and they took it as their responsibility to cover their father, to cover his honor and cover what would shame him, to not make excuses for him, to not make a cover story, not like, oh, he's just Noah, he just drinks. Not cover up for him in that sense, but to protect his honor, to protect their father, uh, to cover his being exposed, to keep him honored, even if he couldn't keep himself honorable. And I wonder, do we even remotely do that? Wouldn't we want that for ourselves, if you or I were Noah? Wouldn't we want to be covered? Don't we know when people love us, when they do that for us? Why do we go out blabbing about our spouses, our relatives, and their shortcomings to others? Is that prayer request really a request? Or is it a way for you to seek yourself being honored? Lifting yourself up and magnanimous, asking for prayer, but it's really putting someone else down because you're sick and tired of being in a relationship because maybe you haven't prayed for it. I'm not saying don't ask for prayer of these things, but sincerely, we need to cover their honor. Not their sin. I'm not saying enable them or make excuses for them, but to cover their honor, to cover their exposed parts. Um, you know, if there's an abuse in a relationship, then yes, there is a time for that spouse to go seek help, or uh, to you to go ask for help in a relationship, or whatever it is. I'm not saying that, you know, we cover up these things to the point of detriment. So I'm not saying cover their sin, but cover their exposed honor. You know, uh, we, need to be, we need to try and reconcile, like it says in Matthew. We need to go through the steps to bring reconciliation when there's not. You know, when that hasn't worked, don't write a blog. You know, I read this post the other day on the site about this guy who found out his wife published a book of poetry about how much she hated him. 20 years. And he said, you know, due to the comments on the post, they were working out their marriage and he sent forward you know, the, for the people who commented on it. Can you imagine that? You know? You go on Amazon, and you know, instead of clicking Ashley's wish list for her birthday, somehow Ashley's book on poetry about her husband's days comes up. Hello! You read, you read, you know, she didn't use my name, but it was clearly him. I can't imagine that. You know, make sure we've done all to cover their honor. Never talk down uh, of them to others. Even if you do have to get to that point where you need to go for counseling or things, never talk down to them. God says in Matthew 10, 9, Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Now, it doesn't have to be another man. It could be you or I trying to separate our relationship by cutting all the time as we cut the honor, cut what's left, what's living left. You know, the relationships in our lives are God-given. And we need to do our best to honor them and to not shame them. 
You know, we see it uh, all the time in relationships that fall apart. It's because they share their private business in a public way. Um, you know, how can you build trust there? How can you build trust in a relationship where you share private things and you make it public things? Yeah, there can be forgiveness and reconciliation, but how can that really happen? You know, how can your heart feel safe sharing something that's sensitive or maybe even shameful? The Bible says to confess our sins to one another. If I confess to my wife something that I've been struggling with or sinned in, how can I feel safe doing that again if I did it last time and she made a Facebook post about it? That's why she's not on Facebook. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> you know, divorce, church spits, hey, sweetheart, losing friends, relationships at work. I wager that most of that is from unforgiveness and uncovering of things that shouldn't have been, or that should have been covered, so to speak. David and Saul, the robe, you know, David cut Saul's robe. The wording there, it's possible that Saul was going to the bathroom. That's one possible interpretation. And David cut his robe to show that he could have killed him, but he didn't. And even then, David said, I can't believe I did this. I shouldn't even put my sword against the anointed that he took some honor away from Saul on that. And Saul was the one who was trying to kill him. But David honored Saul. David honored the relationship he had with him. Jonathan's his best friend. He honored Saul's position. David was anointed, but Saul was empowered. David had all the right to take the throne. He said, no, 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 that's not my place. This is God's place. Shem and Japheth, they loved their father. They covered his honor. Let's go on. Uh, verse 24, it says, So Noah awoke from his wine. So he obviously wasn't just tired from drinking too much. And he knew what his younger son had done to him. And then he said, Cursed be Cain, and the servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth. May he dwell in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. Noah awoke and knew, and that word is perceived. And I think in some way, you know, Noah, maybe he remembered a little bit, but I think he looked around the room and he kind of perceived what had happened there. You know, his pants were over there. He's, maybe he's got Shem's, you know, blanket from Shem's couch on his, you know, covering him. It's not his blanket, I don't know. Uh, maybe the room was messed up and he vaguely remembered hand walking in. The other night, uh, it was late, I went to bed and I fell asleep with the light on. I was praying, I fell asleep and then I was going to read but I fell asleep. And then I started getting the sense that my daughter was there. I remember just being there, kind of seeing her. And all of a sudden I woke up and Mia's like right there. That's, that's the thing, she just comes in and then, you know, like when she wakes up in a bad dream or something. She doesn't say mama or dad, it's just, <laughs> you gotta tell us, it's scared the living daylights out of me. Uh, but I realized she was there and I happened to hear that Noah woke up and then he kind of went, oh yeah, Pam was in here. You know, curses were a big deal back then. The family blessings on the firstborn, if you remember Jacob and Esau. But Noah says, you know, that he curses, uh, Canaan, to be a servant of servants, he shall be to his brother. You know that for all on, he calls him Canaan here. He doesn't call him Ham, he calls him Canaan. The peoples that would come from him. But he says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. You know, that somehow, in all this, Noah realized that he had fallen away from grace in some measure. And I, you know, I don't know, I'm not trying to uncover Noah here, but Shem had a relationship with God. And his father Noah recognized that. and said, man, I've, even when I failed, Shem has it. Shem knows you. Blessed be you, God. You're the God of Shem. You know, the middle he put down to serve them all, and the youngest was raised up. You know, but he, the youngest, Japheth, was still under the blessing of his brother. And I think in some sense, perhaps Shem had become the spiritual head of the family. That the faith of Noah had been passed on to Shem. And as Shem grew up and became a man, 
he became the spiritual head of the family. Even though his dad was still believed, his dad was struggling with stuff, he, was, he became the head. He had his faith, in some ways perhaps, had surpassed his father's. And I wonder as parents, as people, are we willing to listen when our children share things of the Lord with us? Are we able to submit to their spiritual authority as their adults? The Bible says, out of the mouth of God's ordained praise. And so sometimes my kids say stuff and I go, is that you, Lord? Is that you? And absolutely, there's times. You know, but if my daughter tries to teach me the Bible now, I, you know, she doesn't quite know it. So I'm not going to submit to that authority. But one day, if Jacob grows up and is following the Lord, there's a day that I may have to submit to his authority. That's fine. That's the way it should be. You know, I want to go far in the Lord. I want to go all the way. And yet one day, in some strange sense, I hope my kids are passing. I hope that Ashley and my faith in the Lord only accelerates their faith. By the time they're my age, they're miles down the road from where I am. Um, you know, if you can look at it in those sort of senses. Because uh, really, you know, it doesn't really work like that. But Exodus 20.12 says, Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the land in which the Lord your God has given you. You know, Ham, he dishonors his father, he exposed his father's shame even more in public, and it cut his life blessing. Shem and Japheth, honoring their father, bless them. Their lives are then blessed because of the simple act of they're not going to look at their dad, and they're just going to walk backwards, keep their eyes away, do whatever possible. They didn't even walk in forwards and kind of go, oh, you know, they want to do everything possible. So even if, even if it was just for themselves that they would never see that, they know that their dad would know that he never saw them, that they never saw him. You know, and how special it is when, when we look at family. Because when we look at family, a lot of times we see them for the wrong things. We see them for the shameful things. We don't see them for the right things. That they're our dad, or they're our mom, or they're our brother, or they're our sister. We hold them forgiveness and bitterness. And we look at them as exposed. Instead of covering them, we expose them. Instead of looking at them the way we should. That was my dad. I'm just going to cover him. And there's an honor in that. There's a blessing in that. And I think that's why family relationships can be the hardest because with family, it's easy to, it's the easiest to see the exposed parts. You know, and Ashley and I are hanging out, and, you know, I'm in an old ratty T-shirt, and I got salsa on me. You know, she sees that. You guys don't do that. Hopefully not. You know, you guys come over to China and do that. I'll go change my shirt. But I'm at home, I'm like, oh, salsa on me. You know, like, she sees that. She sees the, the dishonorable parts of me. And yet, she still loves me. I think that's how you know true love is that when we do see the dishonorable each other that we did and cover that. Let's go on as we close here. 28-29. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. You know, 350 more years, more than half of his life from before the flood would be lived again after the flood. It wasn't like the flood just happened and he got the boat. Here you go, guys. I'm done. He goes to heaven. He's still got plenty of life left to live, even after this time. And you or I might be old, but there's still plenty of time left to live that. Even if it's five years, there's still five years left to live that. And live that to the fullest of the Lord. Even if you were out drunk last night, I don't think you were. Today's a new day. God's mercies are new every morning, right? Every day. Every second, really. It doesn't, you don't have to wait until the sun comes up to get right with God. You're right with God where you are. But with that, where are you today? Where am I today? With God. With your life and struggles. You know, Ashley and I had a good heart-to-heart there, and I had something I needed, and shared their things that, uh, 
you know, I'm, I was dealing with the, with the Lord last week, and it was just ministering me like no other, that these people in our lives who do see the exposed parts need to see the exposed parts. I need to expose that part of me that was hurting to her, going through what it was going through with her. And it ministered me like no one else ministered. And even like, it brought me back, in a sense, closer to the Lord, where I was able to receive from the Lord things that I wasn't able to receive that week. But where are you? Are you, are you burdened? Are you trying to escape? You know, maybe like people choose alcohol to escape. Or are you escaping in some other way? There's something else you're running away from spiritually or physically. Are you depressed and downtrodden? You know, I take great, great hope in the scriptures because Jeremiah was depressed. Jesus wept. David, the Psalms. You go, man, all right, my life's not too bad. You know, I'm not on the run here. You know, and I love seeing David's prayers, how it goes from being so down and out to being lifted up by crying out to the Lord. We need to do that. It's okay to be completely exposed before the Lord and to cry before Him. You know, because you do that and then you're not really crying before others and other people don't see that part of you and think you're just crying, even though you really are. But that thing you want to do to escape is not going to help. But God will. You know, God still has an eye on you. So His hand out to you. You see that in scriptures all the time. God was reaching out to Israel. But with that, from that, where are those who are around you? Are they struggling? Are they hurting? Are they just making foolish mistakes? Believe it or not, we need to love them. We need to share God with them. You know, the things that we've received from the Lord, we need to share with them, especially around the holidays. People get more depressed on the holidays. They realize, oh, I am alone, or I am whatever, or oh, I don't have, you know, whatever it is they're missing. We need to cover them. Not again, not cover and enable their sin, but to cover their honor, to not treat them like that addict, maybe they are, but to love them. To lift them up to the Lord and, and your Lord. That wouldn't be the Lord, the God of Shem, but it'd be the Lord, the God of us. Because when, when people are our Lord, we'll expose them to, uh, we'll expose others to them. I think that shows who we worship sometimes. If we expose our relationship, like if I if I were to blab to you the stuff that Ashley and I might disagree about or get a, a tip about, it shows that I value your relationship more than I do her relationship. I'm looking for a way out of that, so to speak. You remember ever dating in high school or college, and you know you go share, or, you know it's like it didn't help. So it shows who you value. And if the Lord is the Lord in life. Again, not that we're going to talk and seek help or prayer at the right time, but He's the one that we're going to blab to, and He's going to go relax. You've got a problem too. It's a lot of your mind. But sincerely, let's love others. Sweet. Let's care for them and cover them. Amen? Amen. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that Lord, you cover our sin. That you wiped it away as far as the east from the west. And if we truly receive that forgiveness, how can we then hold that nickel, so to speak, against our brother and we've been forgiven for so much? So, God, if there's that in our lives, let that be reconciled. If there's other family issues, help us be the the medicine for that. Not in our own strength, but your spirit, God. May you be the one who ministers. It's your desire to bring families together to you. So God, over this Christmas and Thanksgiving, God, if you don't return first, God, bring them to you. We love you, God. Bless the rest of our day and the wedding and church. And, uh, God, we love you so much. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for our children. In Jesus' name, amen.